Well, you can look around this morning and you can both sense and you can see the change of atmosphere here in the chapel. So as Andrew said last week, there are a group of folks who worship regularly at the bridge who stuck around and put up trees and lights and wreaths and Christmas and other decorations that we see for our Advent season together. And if you're like me, the, the physical transformation of the space changes the emotional and, and spiritual space as well. So the air feels different. We can feel the anticipation as we move toward our church's celebration of Christmas together. And we worship a little differently. We hang greens, we sing carols, we light candles reminiscent of the heavenly starlight that we read about in the birth story of Jesus. Our schedules become a little fuller with parties and people's homes. Our bellies become a little fuller with food and drink that we were pent of in January. We literally change our routines and behaviors during this five-week season. And I believe we do it because there is something in this season that we want to feel. There is something that we rehearse together in this season that our spirits desperately want to believe is true and desperately believe is real. So, so call it what you will. Community, joy, peace, anticipation, transcendence, love, and yes, in this time together, we want to heighten the hope that we have that somehow, some way, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of Christ, makes a real lived difference in how we live and, and how we experience the daily empowering presence of God. So have you ever had one of your kids tell you on, on Christmas morning, after they had opened their gifts, that they wish that every day could be like Christmas. So we think that's just about getting presents, but maybe, maybe it's about more than that. Maybe our kids feel it too, the shift in the atmosphere. And what they're saying to us maybe sounds something like this, that whatever that is, they want more of, of that, whatever that feeling is. And in that small way, they're expressing a hope that they have, and that's the traditional theme of the first Sunday at Advent, which is hope. And if we could put some words to what that hope is that we feel, maybe it's something like this, that all the best of everything that we experienced during Advent and Christmas, the joy, the love, the deep relationship, the giving and the receiving might actually be the spiritual reality toward which we are living day to day. And these might just be experiences that point us to deeper kingdom life together. And this is why I think the Christian hope is so powerful. Because for Christ followers, hope is a picture of the future that inspires and grounds us in the present. And we all live it out of the pictures in our head. I have a picture in my head of this time next year, having eaten healthy and exercised each day and my clothes not feeling so snug. That's a picture that I have and I'm going to get there. We have pictures in our head about where we would like our finances to be or the impact that we'd like to make at work or in our community or what retirement might look like 
or how our kids might turn out or the legacy that we'd like to leave behind. And these pictures and many more give shape to our behaviors and emotions and spiritual life in the present. They can motivate us to press forward. They frustrate us when we feel stalled. But taken together, the vision that we have of the future draws us forward to be about the things that we believe really matter in life. And it's in this that I think we are just like the earliest followers of Jesus. Now, I've mentioned before that I'm reading a book um, on the early church and its faith life in in the first couple of hundred years after the death of Jesus and the emergence of what might be called formal Christianity. And, And if you're interested, the name of the book is After Jesus, Before Christianity. That's the name of the book. And what I love about this book is the description of the hope that drew early Jesus communities together to worship, to enjoy fellowship, and to serve others. And most specifically, how the earliest believers saw their lives as part of a much greater, grander God story that stood in radical contrast to the story of power and violence on the Roman Empire in which they lived. And so there were were three things that made that Christian life stand out in the first century. And the first one was this. They saw themselves as part of an amazing story that begins in the Old Testament as God calls the people to be the light of God's presence in the world. And so in our scripture reading this morning from Isaiah chapter two, the picture of hope is that of the nations gathered around the mountain of God and God teaching all the world how to live in peace. That's the picture of hope in Isaiah two. So Isaiah says it, he says, he shall judge between nations and arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. He says, oh, house of Jacob, come let us walk. Here we go, here's the end of that verse. In the light of the Lord. There we go, we finished our fragment. (laughs) And so when Jesus says things like, Let your light shine before others. In the same message where he says, a city set on the hill shall not be hidden, you can imagine what might pop into the mind of Jesus' listeners. They are God's city set on the hill. They are God's light that shines. And it was a powerful and life-transforming encounter with Jesus that called them into that purpose. And that was a second hope of the early Christ followers and believers. When they would gather, they would do something like what we did this morning, and they would eat bread, and they would drink from the cup, and they would make the bold, audacious claim that Jesus actually reigned and was present to them as they shared this meal together. And so some of them who had gathered had been physically healed. Some had found emotional wholeness. Some had discovered newfound family and deep relationships together. Some had been given brand new identities as they reconceived themselves as the people of the cross and the people of the resurrection. And the New Testament contains story after story of people who met Jesus and were granted a brand new lease on life, which in their context meant everything. So one of the things that we forget when we read the New Testament is that when the writers talked about the kingdom of God, 
they did so against the backdrop of another empire that was, that was ruthlessly violent and dominating. So if you've ever seen the movie Spartacus, you might remember um, the depiction given there of what happens when people rebel against the power and the authority of the Roman Empire as the Appian Way is littered with cross after cross after cross after cross of, of slaves who have been crucified in the rebellion against Rome. The Roman Empire destroyed families. They were known to displace entire populations of people whom they had conquered. So the so-called Pax Romana really was no peace at all for the 99% of the people that lived under the rule. And this was the space that Jesus' followers would somehow manage to gather and to sing and to worship and to share meals and to laugh together, to speak life and wholeness and weave a vision of life together, except under a different reign, under the reign of Jesus. Under the reign of Jesus, those who experienced life and their experience of life was with pain and loss and subjugation. They were people who had no hope at all. They were able, some for the very first time in their lives, to taste hope and to taste freedom. And that's what made the Christian community so powerful as they spread all over the Mediterranean in the first two centuries after Jesus' death. Christians stood out as a people, as a family, offering an entirely different way of life. And so I think it's important for us to remember the origins of our faith because I believe that the same things give fire and life to the hope that the very first Jesus followers had and which fuels our hope today. Like those who celebrated their longing for Jesus' coming kingdom 2,000 years ago, we believe with them, after that Pentecost experience that they had, we believe that God's Holy Spirit lives in us. This is a source of hope for us. So Paul says this in, in, in Galatians 4, 6. He says, because you are God's children, God has spent the, sent the spirit of Jesus into our hearts by which we are able to exclaim, Abba, Father. And so Abba is one of these weird New Testament Aramaic terms that actually has the connotation of a child reaching up to the child's father and just simply saying, Daddy, that's, that's what Abba means. And, and so what Jesus is doing, he's saying that our encounter with God through the Holy Spirit is that same sense of intimacy with God, our Father. And as children of God who have the Spirit of God, we bear the fruit of that Spirit in our lives, like we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful for that because that means the pressure is off for me to get it right all by myself. It's God, in fact, who continues the work of renewing the very thing in us that we were created to do. And so one of my favorite passages is Philippians 1.6, which says that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. And then in Romans 12, Paul describes how that renewal happens, how our minds are transformed as we give ourselves over to be like Jesus as living sacrifices so that others can experience God's presence in us more fully. And this he says, he says, this is actually our form of worship 
as we give our lives to be a blessing for others. But the really amazing part is how God gifts each of us to carry that presence uniquely. He says in Romans 12, 6, we have gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us. And so the picture here of hope is, is of a people living out the very presence of God as an act of worship by sharing their spiritual gifts, by, by sharing their love, by sharing themselves with others. And so the answer then to a world often overcome with pain and sorrow and suffering in the first century as it is now is a people who are called out and formed together to be the body of Christ. And to be the body of Christ with the expectations that all the things that we read about in the New Testament that Jesus did, those are things that God could and will do through us. And so to drive home the point, here's what Paul does in, in, in the part right after that in Romans chapter 12, in that magisterial climax to, to the letter to, letter to the Romans, he spells out precisely the things that the Jesus community does that reveals Jesus' renewing presence in them. He says this, let your love be genuine, he says. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. He says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Persevere in prayer. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints. But then he says this, pursue hospitality to strangers. And so in a world where people seem to be growing farther apart, becoming more isolated and alone, more divided and more entrenched, more fractured and more broken, God's promise of hope shows up in the shape of a savior who is one who gathers a people together into a community to be God's life transforming love. And that's who we are. A people called to be surrendered as an act of worship to offer those in our community who are broken, who are hurting, who are searching, to be that place where they can encounter God's life-changing love. So what does hope do? Since we're talking about hope this first Sunday of Advent, what does hope do? And then coming back full circle around to our original definition about hope being a picture of the future that grounds and inspires the present. There are three things I think we can say about hope as we close, and the first is this. Hope anchors us. Hope anchors us. So that's what Hebrews 6.19 says, that we have a hope that anchors us as we seek after the presence of Christ together. And as we move through Advent, maybe one of the spiritual disciplines of the season is to be on the lookout for those places where we can clearly identify where Christ is doing a work of renewal in someone's life. And then ask God how we ourselves, with, with our gifts, with our encouragement, with our sharing of ourselves, can come alongside and strengthen that work of renewal. So, so take some time this Advent to be still, to look around, to see some of the things in this crazy world that God is up to. And hope also elevates 
One of my visions for this church that I share with Clay all the time is how that the very moment someone walks onto the campus of Woodmont, I want them to feel in their spirits the welcome home to a family. I want them to feel in their spirits the opening up of some possibility that God is getting ready to do something new in their life, that they can be surrounded by deep and supporting relationships that in the midst of the singing and the celebrating, the laughing and the sharing and the serving, that Jesus will be encountered by somebody who just walks through the door of this church and their life will be changed forever. And I believe that that can happen. Does anybody believe that that can happen here at this church? And finally, I believe that, that hope propels and we know how the story ends, right? In case you haven't heard, God wins. Anybody want to say amen to that? God wins. Love wins. Hope wins. That's our confidence. That's our boldness. That's what ties us together in mission. And all of our our multitude of quirky little God-given gifts that's represented here in this room. We are a people on a mission. And in that way, we celebrate hope today on the first Sunday of Advent. We embody that hope. We are the light of the world. We are the city that's set on the hill. And what a a wonderful and amazing and life-fulfilling vocation it is to be together the body of Christ who together can speak God's wholeness and who together live out for all the world to see with our lights shining with our hope, who live out the wholeness of God together. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we are are thankful for your presence here today. We thank you for the hope that you pour out onto our hearts. We thank you for a community that has has been in this community for so many years, um, gathering together on Sundays and breaking bread together and offering up the hope that we have um, in Christ that we are called into new life, and that as people who are at times broken and frail, who are ourselves hurting and suffering, that somehow we manage, because of your strength, to be able to speak a word of grace. Our prayer, God, is that that the one who is seeking you could walk onto this campus and be able to experience immediately the joy that you have for them, who immediately could begin to experience brand new life. And so, God, we pray this morning, pour out your gifts on us so that we can be people confident and bold to share our lives with the stranger, with the person who's hurting, with the person who's seeking you, with the person who has doubts, with the person with questions that we share our lives, open up ourselves so that people will see Jesus in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people say, amen.